Before we begin this episode of the Canadian Football Countdown, a quick note from Ryan here in the editing bay. Uh, this episode, while it's coming out later in the week, was recorded Monday afternoon uh, before we got more of the details on the Elks COVID situation. Uh, so you'll hear us talking about that at the start of the episode. Uh, we did not have the full details of the extent of this at the time of recording. Of course, we now know that uh, 11 Elks players at this point in time have tested positive for COVID-19, uh, and the facilities have been shut down for a minimum of seven days, meaning uh, the game this week with the Argos has officially been postponed. You'll hear us talk on the episode about uh, you know possibly getting it uh, played early next week. That's looking pretty doubtful at this point in time, and uh, we just want to... Uh, wish all the best for all of the Elks players and personnel. Uh, we wish them a uh, full recovery and no long-lasting effects from COVID-19. And I uh, want to take a quick moment to encourage everybody to go out, get their vaccines, and uh, help us all do our part to kick COVID to the curb. Without further ado, let's kick off the show. Welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And we're back to talk about week three in the CFL. Mike is back with me again this week after uh, missing our bonus episode uh, where I had a chance to chat with author Paul Woods about his new book, Year of the Rocket. Uh, on late last week, if you haven't checked out that episode yet, make sure you do. But Mike, this is a monumental uh, episode so far in the 2021 season, uh, particularly for yourself, because the streak is finally over. A barn burner of a two and two week in CFL pickup. How does it feel? Uh, a lot better, but I kind of wish I was one and three if you get my draft. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, yes, uh, we, we improved our pick'em streaks a little bit. I went one and three. Mike went two and two. The uh, It started off uh, as another unpredictable week, and things were looking in jeopardy. But uh, things settled but a little back to some norms maybe late in the week. But, yes, a crazy week three in the CFL. Um, where do we begin? I guess before we get into talking about all of these games, we should address the proverbial elephant in the room, which is uh, this coming Thursday's game between the Edmonton Elks and Toronto Argonauts is officially postponed due to a COVID outbreak uh, with the Elks organization. Uh, we're unclear at the point of recording this on Monday uh, just how many players actually are in COVID protocol and have tested positive. Um, but the game's going to be postponed this Thursday. Uh, immediate reactions to that, Mike? Well, it makes me a little bit concerned with what's going on because we heard of the, I can't remember if it's one or two cases from, I think it was one or two weeks ago. I think it was just last week, actually. 
Um, maybe it was uh, maybe it was in week one. I can't remember. Uh, memory is not too dead right now with everything going on. Uh, just trust me on that fact. But everything to be okay. Uh, but no, in all, in all seriousness, um, I'd I'd like to know what happened here. Was this a breach in protocol? Um, the Elks seem to be the only team we hear about in this type of situation. Um, I don't want to assign blame in any way because everybody, you know, makes their own decision, vaccine or non-vaccine or getting vaccinated. And But something happened in the protocols. Something slipped. And I'm just curious, I guess on my part, is this anything to do with breakthrough cases of vaccinated people, uh, unvaccinated players? Is it mostly among uh, support staff? Is, like, what is the scope of this? I mean, I would have to thank Brian. The fact that this game gets postponed t- tells me that it's not just one or two cases. Um, I would hazard a guess, and I hope I'm wrong, perhaps in the double digits. Um, but again, we don't know that for a, a fact at this point. But, you know, just strikes me that I don't believe that they're making a preemptive move to postpone a game if it's one or two uh, positive cases based on, I guess, the sample size that we had two weeks ago. Well, and also interestingly, so the CFL has protocols in place, right, where potentially a team, uh, depending on their vaccination percentage, I believe, uh, or or sorry, no, the game checks, I think, is based on whether a team is at least 85% vaccinated. But uh, in terms of a game being played, you know, if a game can't be fit into the schedule because it needs to be postponed, uh, a team could end up having to forfeit a game. Now, the Elks perhaps get lucky in the circumstance of how the schedule plays out this week with, you know, this being a Thursday night game. So an early start to the week was when it was planned. And then uh, next game, both for both these clubs, not being until Labor Day Monday. So an extra long week between games gives them a bit of leeway. I think we could see a case where, you know, we get some more test results back. We see the magnitude of this and they try to get the game off say Monday or Tuesday next week, that would be the, certainly the simplest in terms of scheduling a, uh, a rescheduled game here because, because the teams do have such a long week off. Um, but certainly, you know, if, if that's not a go, then you start walking into, well, how do you reschedule this later in the season? Can you schedule it around bye weeks? Well, not really. Uh, especially when you have a team like the Argos that have such a compact schedule down the stretch. Uh, So we're in very interesting territory here with this game. We'll continue to monitor throughout the week and probably I'm assuming we'll get some indication of the magnitude uh, of the spread within the Elks organization and, uh, and also on when this game will be rescheduled and, Obviously hoping for nothing but the best for anybody who has tested positive in that organization and uh, for everybody involved and currently dealing with it. Uh, But one interesting thing, I think that this kind of, this was kind of, to me, it almost seemed like a bit of a wake up call to some of these CFL organizations because, you know, coming into 
I want to say this past week, the only team that I'm aware of that had vaccine mandates for, uh, for fans, for staff, it's game day event staff, it's, et cetera, was Winnipeg. And, you know, the, the home opener here at, at IG Field went off without a hitch. And it was the only stadium that had a full vaccine requirement. And we got news, you know, the home opener for the Riders had some COVID positive cases out of it. So I think maybe that combined with now, okay, this team's having a COVID outbreak. All of a sudden today, one team after another, uh, and we're still missing the two. We're still missing at this point, the Elks and the Riders have not implemented such a strategy or a plan for such a strategy. But all of a sudden, all these stadiums around the league are now going to be requiring uh, full vaccination records for a negative COVID test. So I, I'm ecstatic to see that because I think it worked really well for the Bomber game here. I know I've been to the both games at IG Field. I felt safe uh, in that sense. Uh, so I think it's a good you know, step forward for these teams. And hopefully it helps eliminate further, uh, further outbreaks going forward. And, uh, you know... I guess to sum it up, get your vaccine if you want to go to a football game or if you want to help people and us all in general. I, I just want to address something here, but I came across my phone here as we were talking about this. And I again, I don't mean to call anybody out uh, about this, but this is just very, very, very interesting. Uh, the Toronto Art did not 18 hours ago at the time of this recording put, a, put out a tweet that said Thursday game versus Edmonton has been postponed. Winnipeg Blue Bomber defense, defender uh, D lineman Willie Jefferson replies with the following tweet Boys can't follow simple instructions. Four explanation points. What do we make of that, if anything? Well, I think I think there's going to be a lot of finger pointing, right? With until we get further details of what happened here. Um, certainly, we don't know the vaccination records of these teams. We kind of get a sense of the general level for teams as a whole. I believe I had seen an article uh, a little while ago that you know it was hovering close to the eighty percent mark uh, for a lot of these teams, but. Certainly, we don't know who on which teams or the percentages on each team. So I think it's hard it's hard to draw steadfast conclusions, but there's certainly that perception going around right now that uh, maybe some of these players aren't following the protocols as much as they should be. Well, and, and it's just interesting because is this finger pointing or is this lucky to be you got to follow directions, or all of us are going to be directly affected, i.e., paycheck and the lead. You know, if worse comes to worse and COVID becomes a problem, the lead might get shut down as a whole. So, you know, I don't see that as much as finger pointing, more as, you know, keeping players around the lead accountable because some, a lot of people, I think, want to play, want to play football. And I think this is just a general wake up call. To say, hey, if people don't start following direction, as simple as they may appear to some, we're going to lose what we have going, which has been a very good season so far. 
Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head and, and maybe finger pointing was the wrong word. That's definitely, you know, kind of the same sense of what you said is what I meant by that uh, was that, you know, yeah, it, it doesn't just affect one team. It affects all the teams, you know, the, the Lions now are in extended COVID protocols and it looks like their game this week is still going to go ahead at this point in time and all of their tests have come back negative, which is wonderful to see, but uh, it, it's certainly concerning, is it not? Uh, that, you know, one team can spread to another, can spread to another. We saw how some of the NHL outbreaks uh, affected teams throughout that season. So uh, definitely a concerning situation here. We'll see how this continues to develop and what impact this will have on the CFL schedule uh, going yeah. forward. And I think quickly, right, we have to be careful not to compare situations because the National Hockey League was in a completely different uh, set of shoes. And normally they play in the height of flu season. They played in large part where vaccinations weren't readily available. The CFL is one of those rare leagues that's, you know, been able to play so far along with the NFL that's coming where vaccines are readily available to anybody who basically wants them. So I think it's important to make that distinction as well. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, sum it up. Get your vaccine. We're a pro-vaccine podcast. We encourage everybody to go out and get their vaccines. And uh, hopefully that helps uh, diminish the situation. We can finish our football season. Uh, wouldn't that be nice to be able to play the full 14-game season, even with this one rescheduled game? Uh, but let's get into talking about the the games from last week, all four of them did go. And it started off with the Edmonton Elks uh, that we've been talking about facing the BC Lions. And they pick up their first win of the season, 21-16. The Elks pull it out. Uh, solid bounce back game, I would say, by the Elks offense. And uh, particularly, uh, one Greg Ellingson had himself a fine day. This is a guy that... You know, week one, five catches, 50-something yards. Week two, one catch, one yard. You're starting to think, what's wrong with Greg Ellingson? Why is why is he struggling so much? Uh, Ten targets, nine catches, 148 yards. About as good of a performance you can get from Ellingson and, uh, and the rest of that Elks offense. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. It's, it's almost like... Uh... You know, keep me down for one week, but follow it up and follow it up indeed uh, to show that really, I think almost two weeks too late or two weeks coming, depending on just how you look at it. I think we finally saw a glimpse of just how good uh, Edmonton can be uh, when they're all firing on all cylinders. And what happens? most importantly, when they finish drives. Yeah, you know, and the, the the interesting thing, though, is they still didn't really finish a whole lot of drives. They got one touchdown out, out of this. You know, 296 passing yards for Harris, a great day of 127 yards on the ground for James Wilder Jr., uh, who's having a heck of a start to the season himself. Uh, but they only get the one touchdown on the board again. And why, though? Why? Do you, like, why can't this offense, with the amount of yards it's able to put up, I, I believe Harris is still the league-leading passer. He completes eight, nearly 84% of his passes 
why can't they get the ball in the end zone more than they are? Yeah, I don't know, Ryan. I mean, it, it's it's a very I don't want to say it's a mental pain, but some offenses just struggle when it comes down to um, putting the ball in the end zone for whatever reason. And I I don't reckon this to a BC situation of 2019 because I think they're completely different. But it just takes a while for the for the um, so it has to become very a uh, well-oiled machine offensively, and it's just interesting how the defenses still seem far ahead of offenses like lead wide. Um, it, it's interesting how you know not to pull comparisons, but the bomber offense really straddled for large portions of the game. Uh, Ottawa's offense, we've already, you know, well documented so far for, you know, what, what they're going through. It's, it just seems like the defenses are ahead of the offense. And maybe now we should look at next week being week two. You know, if you factor in, okay, second week of the regular season in a normal year, if you factor in week one and week two being preseason. But I would be concerned if other things weren't happening um, for the out. Sorry, for the outs. Um, but again, you know, their defense has been okay. Their special teams have been superb for the most part. Well, the special uh, teams, I would argue, besides Sean White, is where they struggle the most. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe I'm giving too much credit to Sean White covering you know, a, a magnitude of sins, but you, you know what it's like, right? I mean, you're in you're in this West Division, which is powerful if you look at, you know, 3-0 and Saskatchewan, 2-1, and one, you know, Winnipeg. I understand the direness of this situation of, you know, you can't fall too far behind, but at the same sense, the problems could also be worse. And I guess the B part, or the C part, I guess, is we'll figure out exactly how COVID affects this team going forward. Because we saw uh, certain teams play very, very well in the NFL. Then they got hit by a COVID outbreak, and they kind of took a step back. So we'll see from multiple angles how Edmonton responds uh, to this. and. You know, it's just one of those scenarios that I didn't think BC was very um, very good defensively at times with the penalties and extra drives. And But again, it's one of those scenarios of a win-to-win for a badly, badly, badly needed uh, victory. Otherwise, they would have fallen. Well, what we now know is three games back because the Riders went one again to go to 3-0. You know, if the outs are 0-3, that's 3 games back already. And, you know, there's eventually, you're going to run out of games and chances to make up games. So this was a very critical win. Let's not mistake that, but still a bit of a waste to go. 
Well, one unit I think we have to give some real credit to here is the offensive line for the Elks because week two, big storyline was how much Montreal's defensive line ate them alive. Uh, you know, I think four or five sacks the Alouettes got against them in week, week number two. Uh, they put up uh, zero sacks against, against the Lions in week number three. I thought they gave Trevor Harris plenty of time back there and he looked efficient in the process uh, due to that. Uh, yeah, definitely one of the things you pointed out, penalties is a big factor in this game. Uh, 10 penalties, 137 yards for Edmonton, 13 penalties, 128 for BC. Uh, another football game that just seemed to take forever. There was a penalty on every single play. My goodness. Um, bit of a shock factor maybe for BC in this game. Uh, you know, last week. Riley becomes the surprise starter at game time. He comes in, he throws for 300 and something yards against Calgary and looks absolutely fantastic. This week he gets in a full week pretty much of practice time. I know he was a bit limited, but at least he, he was practicing. He gets the start. No more shenanigans, so to say, from the Lions on who their quarterback is. In fact, on the depth chart now, they actually put a cue beside him uh, in the starter slots to avoid any more... Uh, confusion that he was definitely a game time decision. Uh, but Riley gets the start, and I would say looked very underwhelming. Uh, 15 of 24 for 128 yards. Uh, the offense just couldn't get anything going for BC, could it? Yeah, it's very interesting for, for sure. And, you know, I, I think that speaks to a wider range, I think, of inconsistency. Um, I mean, it speaks to a wider issue of inconsistency for not only Riley, but also BC as a whole. And I, I know that there comes a point in time where the question becomes, you know, who's your starting quarterback on a weekly basis? And if, if you're constantly looking over your shoulder as to who it's going to be, that doesn't help your chances. But then again, I don't think that, Michael Riley is near the quarterback that he was, you know, three or four years ago. And I, I think a lot of those, we always credited Michael Riley back in the day to be very, very uh, durable, right? I mean, Mike Riley would take, Michael Riley would take some big, big hits. Mm -hmm. And you say, how the heck did he get up from that one? Um Maybe now he's showing, but he's a little bit, uh, a little bit, uh, you know, susceptible in that way. And I, I think with a lot of teams, to be fair as well, uh, your quarterback is great. You're going to win. Your quarterback's not great. You know, you're not going to win a lot of games. And then the other part is, you know, if you go by the way of your quarterback. And if he goes, your team goes. And if he's inconsistent, your team is inconsistent. Now I'm not pinning this all on Michael Riley because I think that would be that would be very very unfair. Um, but again, I think there's a large portion to be said about overall confidence in a quarterback and that kind of uh, that kind of position. Yeah, I think a bit of an underwhelming day for a lot of the Lions offense. I mean, uh, Brian Burnham held to just 32 yards. Lucky White had fantastic first two weeks. He's held to 31. 
Uh, I don't know where the heck Dominic Grimes is. Uh, I've been waiting for him to break out for the Lions. He had 1,000 yards with Ottawa in 2019. Uh, one catch on five targets for one yard for him. Uh, he's got nothing going really so far this season. And uh, a bit of a disappointing day. I was looking forward to a big day from Shaq Cooper making his first start at running back. Uh, he missed the first two games. James Butler started in his place. This is a guy I was high on. I picked him, uh, you know, in the first couple of rounds, I believe, in our fantasy draft this year. thought he was going to be a breakout star for the Lions, and he just got nothing going. Six carries, 35 yards, uh, including one 20-yard carry uh, late in the game. So really nothing going the rest of the game for him. So I I think the Lions need to get a bit more of a run game going, uh, you know, moving into next week. Maybe take a bit of pressure off of Riley, give him more time back there. Uh, definitely need to balance that offense for for the Lions if they're going to get things back on track here offensively. Uh, one thing of note, though, I think for the Lions to mention is the kicker position. It looks like, you know, that was a big struggle in the first two weeks. Uh, they did end up letting Yamasaki go, uh, the Japanese kicker, who just couldn't get it going, unfortunately. You know, he'll forever be in the CFL record books as the first Japanese-born player to score a point, but he was really struggling. He held them back, uh, you know, from putting the points up on the board that they could in some situations. And uh, so he's let go. Uh, they bring in a couple new kickers as well. Jimmy Kamako, uh, three field goals on three attempts, including a 49-yarder. So it looks like maybe that's position. Uh, the Lions have managed to shore up here in week number three. Yeah, it's very interesting how, you know, and, I, and I'm saying that in a, in a general sense, how when you lose the close game, and you've heard me use this line before on the show, the closer the games, the more of a magnitude little instances within the game matter. Let's move on to our second game of the week. Uh, The Calgary Stampeders and the Montreal Alouettes. Calgary at 0-2. Who saw that coming coming into the game? Uh, No Bo Levi Mitchell. He's on the six-game injured list with a broken foot. A broken leg. I think it's fibula. Um, Everybody throughout the week expecting Michael O'Connor to get the start. Turns out it's Jake Mayer who gets the start for the Stampeders. And I didn't see too much of this game myself, but I followed the stat lines. I watched the highlights. I don't think the kid looked too bad, Mike. 16 of 29, 304 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. Not necessarily a spectacular day, but uh, a pretty fine start to your CFL career, is it not? Yeah, and that's going to be something to watch uh, going forward for sure. Now, you, you watched more of this game than, than I did. How, how did he actually look out on the field? Are the stats – do the stat lines do him justice? Well, here's the thing. Okay, I'll say this. Uh, both interceptions were early in the game. Both interceptions were not good. Um, throughout those two interceptions, the stat line looks even better than it was. Uh, minus the two interceptions, and Calgary probably puts points on the board for one of them, at least. However, I am very quick to 
suggest and people in Calgary, including people in my household this past week, are saying, Oh yeah, you know, it's the Nets uh it's the Nets, you know, not necessarily bullied by Mitchell, but we're going to be okay around here. And I'm just not sold on that. How many times in the history of the CFL have we seen a guy that's so dead in his first CFL start? Probably more times, at least in my time following the CFL, than I could count on one hand or two hands. It's the guy generally tries to hit a wall, not tries to hit a wall, but generally hit the wall in his second or third game. No disrespect intended to the Montreal Alouettes, but they took an awful, awful, awful lot of penalties, which hurt them in the game. Uh, Calgary took advantage of penalties, uh, built a big 28-14 lead. Uh, there was a single point with under five minutes to go, 28-15. The touchdown uh, after the single point as a result of a snap hitting Mayor, uh, Mayor's motion man right in the late and Montreal jumping on it and converting uh, then a three and out, which I didn't like on the part of Calgary. Uh, just the way those plays were executed. Montreal was very, very deep in their own zone, probably around the 15-yard line uh, when that drive uh, started. And they came to be within a yard to a half a yard away from winning the football game. That's assuming... Uh, the point after is made. This to me, and I'm very, very curious. Yes, Jake Mayer won the game, but show me again that that wasn't a flute. And I'm not saying this was a flute, but if Montreal eliminates half the penalties that they took, which almost eclipsed 200 yards, and, you know, Montreal gets that extra half a yard, or they have a chance to run that extra play from a half-yard line there, and there's time left on the clock, I think we're having a very, very different result in this football game. In fact, I know we are because there are a lot of teams, most teams know how to consistently make uh, half a yard in the CFL. But, yes, it's a win for the kid. It gives them confidence. But what I'm going to say, and I say this all the time, Build on it. Build on it. Show me more. Yes, it was good, but the other part of this is it's good. Now show me that you can sustain that, particularly this week, and I think we can talk, we'll talk about this later, but a team like the Riders, a team like the Bombers, um, a team like Hamilton, that shows a lot of exotic stuff on defense with blitzes and disguising blitzes and dropping into man and press and pass coverage and different type of blitzes, most importantly. Um, you know, that's going to cause some problems. And I'm not saying that Montreal defense was all, you know, very vanilla light, which is very uh, simplistic, if you want to use... English terms. Uh, I like to use vanilla for very, very simple terms. 
Um, but again, you know what? The result happened the way it happened. I just want to see a follow-up to I'm not convinced that, you know, this is a, it's a great start, but show me more. Well, I, I think for Calgary, it was an improvement all across the football field over what we saw in the first two weeks. You know, it wasn't just the quarterback position. It was not just Bo Levi Mitchell uh, that struggled in those first two weeks. And, and by the way, just to backtrack a bit to all the stuff we talked about last week, you know, what's wrong with Bo Levi Mitchell? This, he clearly isn't himself. Dude played on a broken fibula that he sustained in the first week of the season. I wouldn't even be able to walk on that, never mind play a whole football game. So uh, put some respect on Bo Levi's name for that. Uh, a gritty performance from him that, uh, you know, maybe you, would ar- you could argue he probably shouldn't have been out there uh, on that type of injury, but uh, he was nonetheless put up the best performance he was able to given the situation. Uh, but back to this week, again, uh, a huge bounce back across the board. I thought the defense did something for Calgary this week that it was lacking the first two weeks, and that's make a couple huge plays. Uh, you know, we saw a big run from Vernon Adams Jr. that uh, they force a fumble at the end of that, uh, which was a big play. We saw an interception uh, as well. That was a huge play for them. I, I thought the defense stepped up big time. Uh, and I thought, you know, the running game was pretty good for the for the Stampeders as well. Kadeem Carey picks himself up two touchdowns, a nice day for him. Uh, 62 yards on the ground, 19 through the air, not a bad day there. And uh, I thought a couple of players that, you know, maybe were a little quieter uh, in the receiving courts uh, for the Stampeders. Uh, namely, Josh Huff had himself a big day, a big 83-yard catch. Uh, puts up 128 yards on the board. Uh, Marky Thambles puts up 113. Uh, you know, a lot of Calgary's receivers have been quiet to start the year, and, and this maybe this was the coming out party they needed. One thing I would argue is that Calgary had the benefit of some lawn plays as well. Uh, there were the lawn play that set up a couple of the touchdowns. So, you know, yeah, yeah, yes, they won, but follow it up for me. And to be completely honest with you, I'm very disappointed. Very, very, very disappointed what I saw in Montreal this year. Not or not this year, sorry, this week. Um, not only the almost 200 yards and penalties, but the complete inability to play as a team. Um, I'll, I'll say it, and I won't mince words. Uh, the Montreal OS played a very selfish football game. Uh, they were very lucky to be in the game to the point where they were a half a yard away from winning. But you cannot play the way you played to win a lot of football games. And I know that Montreal will be better. That is not a Tahari Jones football team, uh, coach football team, but we side against Calgary. Whether they were tired from being on the road and having to go back and forth, we'll never know. Bottom line, that was not the Montreal Alouettes that we saw. We're going to see a much better effort. We need to see a much better effort. And for Calgary, like I, like I said before, big plays, some timely defensive plays, follow it up now. Because I'll tell you something, that Winnipeg team is going to be snarly coming home. I don't think they definitely, and I know this for a fact, were not happy with the way they played against Toronto. And we'll get to that, I'm sure, next. Um, but again, there, there's a lot of, Show me 
this week. And I and that would be Calgary and show me Montreal that week one was not an accident. Yeah, I, I, I was also a bit disappointed and surprised in what I saw from the Alouettes. And maybe I bought too much into that week one perform or week two performance, their first game of the year uh, against the Elks. Because in that game, they looked good in all three facets of the game. This game, I think they struggled uh, in at least two out of three of those. Um, Vernon Adams, just 47.6 completion percentage. I mean, it's hard for your offense to be running on all cylinders uh, naturally when, you know, at least every second pass is going incomplete. Uh, you, you can't get much momentum going. It leads to, you know, having to lean on your rushing game. And to, to their credit, they had almost 150 yards uh, in, in rushing in this game between Stanback and Vernon Adams, who pitched in 65 himself. Uh, but things didn't seem to be running the way they we, we thought they would against this Calgary defense that the past two weeks had put up, you know, had allowed 340-yard pass plus passing games uh, and seemed to struggle to stop defenses. Uh, looks, though, like Montreal uh, seems to be spreading the ball around pretty well, I would say, between all of its receivers. Uh, you know, the big four, uh, Eugene Lewis, B.J. Cunningham, Quan Bray, Jake Wynicke, uh all pitching in nicely in this game. And uh, I know this is a guy you hyped up in the preseason a little bit. Uh, Jake Wynicke's having himself not a bad start to the year, hey? 106 yards and a touchdown. He had a touchdown last week. Uh, is he becoming the go-to receiver for the Alouettes? Yeah, it's very interesting because I think I, I think if we talk about Montreal offensively, I don't have as much concerns. Um, the one thing that kind of alarms me in a way, if, if I can just bring this up quickly, and I think this someone answers your question as well, I think Montreal's receiving core is horribly disrespected at times. They have one of the best receiving cores in the CFL. Uh, Cunningham, Eugene Lewis, Quan Bray, Wenneke. I, I, I would put that up against anybody mm-hmm. in the entire CFL. Why is nobody talking about how good these receivers are? And I'll tell you something. If Vernon Adams puts together a great season, he is certainly capable of playing at an MOP level. And I'll tell you what, East doormats no more. This East division, out of anybody from what I've seen, and I know it's three weeks into the year, so we have to be very careful with the way we word this. I've seen something from Hamilton that tells me they could finish first. I saw something from Miardo this week that tells me they could finish first. And going back to last week, I saw something that but, but to tell me that the uh, Montreal would finish first. So there's a lot to be said. And I think the, the old statement of the East is least, I, I, I think would be a fair assessment of that division for the last couple of years. I think if you think there's going to be a crossover, and you and I have had this discussion till we're blue in the face and I'm finally moving over into that direction, there will not be a crossover this year. It is going to be very tough to have a crossover. And Montreal, I know this was a terrible game. They were receiving towards one of the best in the CFL uh, by a long shot talent-wise. 
and their defense. If they did any semblance of a defense and they can stay healthy, why can't this team finish first? They are exciting to watch. I've always admired Vernon Adams as a quarterback. And, yes, he's certainly capable of playing at an MOP level. And, yes, he's been better than Jeremiah Mazzoli. I can't wait for the Montreal-Hamilton games coming up and the Montreal-Toronto games coming up because, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, ladies and gentlemen, those are barn burners written all over them, especially if Arbuck did stay healthy in Toronto. Well, Vernon Adams gets a chance to take on those Ticats next week. Uh, as Montreal hosts Hamilton. Uh, yeah, you know, despite the struggles we talked about this week, they came one yard away from and one convert away from picking over, picking up the win against the Calgary Stampeders still. Well, let's move and on. I think, I think, Brian, quickly, I think that's what's so frustrating about the team, right? They played so terrible. I think a lot of people would agree with, but they're so good in the same sense that they can be one they want to one yard away from winning a lot of football games and I think I, I don't know if that has the maintenance of a 500 football team because you know win one lose one win one lose one but you tell me out of the good team against Montreal or sorry for Montreal but they better not get in their own way if you know what I mean well, let's move on to the Saturday doubleheader. It starts off with the Argos, their first home game of the year, hosting a rematch with the Bombers from the week before. Uh, 30 to 23, Toronto pulls out the win in a game where I think the score flattered the Bombers heavily. Uh, you know, take away two or three big plays by the Bombers, and this is a blowout even on the scoreboard. And I, I think from a you know, actual level of play perspective, it was quite the blowout. I know the Bombers got close at the end, but uh, Toronto seemed to dominate all the way around in this game. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think we need to send out a missing persons report, uh, you know, maybe print it, put it up on the, the street lights, print it on the side of a milk carton. Uh, has anybody seen the Bombers run defense of 2019? 101 yards by DJ Foster. Uh, yeah, backup running back for the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, ends up coming in in a dual back system. Uh, John White had the big 100-yard game the week before. Uh, that's now back-to-back -back games over 100 yards they've given up to the Argos. Uh, this run defense was so good in 2019. What, what, what is the – and they seem to be just as good against Hamilton in week one. Uh, are, are they maybe not as good this year as we thought they were? Or is this a case where the Bombers' defense is just out on the field so stinking much all game long? We'll get the time of possession numbers. Almost 20 extra minutes the Argos had the ball, and they just couldn't keep it up. Here's what I see. And you can agree to disagree, agree to agree somewhat, agree not at all. This game is not an indictment on the Bomber defense. Giving up 101 yards, rushing, and all these rushing yards, not all terribly surprising when you give me the time of possession numbers. Uh, because, of course, on a hot, humid night, 
you can chalk it up to it's hard to be on the field in general, never mind as much as they were. This was a bad game all the way around. And if I may do a little bit of finger pointing, because this is something that I was worried about coming into the week. This is something that I was a little bit worried about for a large portion of the Hamilton game. I'm worried about the play calling of the Bombers' offense through three games. Uh, Zatolaros does not turn the ball over an awful lot. That would be fair to say. Now, he had the one interception in the game on Saturday that I wasn't very happy with. But where is this running game? I mean, Oliveira had 100-plus yards most of which in the, in the late third, early fourth, in the fourth quarter of week number one. Last week was non-existent. And at the time where, you know, this game didn't have 40-3 written all over it. This was within a possession, by and large, for the most part of this game. And they still didn't use Brady Oliveira. Like, I don't understand... Like, to me, there were some very quick drives as a result of, you know, a five-yard pass and maybe an incompletion. Um, sure, when you are quick on the field and quick off the field, just as quick as you came back on the field, I don't know why we didn't get the running game more involved uh, particularly early. Um, this was a team in my mind, but a game in my mind where the field position didn't help the Bombers. Nobody really helped themselves. Uh, when the offense needed a sustaining drive, there were a couple of sucking in shorts, you know, sucking in four where they elected to throw the ball. Uh, where I would have personally run the ball uh, to keep the cloth running. And I think, Ryan, you know which drive I'm exactly referring to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bat-breaking drive was the one right before the half. The Bombers spent all that time getting back into the team. Uh, they had a second and four, and they threw the incompletion, and the Ardos got the ball back inside 40 seconds left in the half. And what wound up happening was they had the pass interference call, which, depending who you talk to, is a penalty, is not a penalty. And then they get, you know, that defender turned around in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. So, yeah, there was a lot that went wrong. But I think the offensive play call, offensive play calling certainly didn't help anything. I mean, if you cannot get close to a first down on second and medium with your running game, well, I think we got a big problem, and that offense did not really help themselves. There were an awful lot of two and outs, but I think could have been avoided with some semblance of a running game. And it's very, very disappointing to me. And I think that this is served as a warning that – Maybe this team isn't ready for a post-Andrew Harris era, 
and he better get on the football field ASAP to give other teams a whole heck of a lot to think about. Well, that's the one thing that, that, that I thought of during this game as well as it went along is, you know, we saw Andrew Harris practicing more this week, uh, didn't quite get in the lineup yet, but I would not be surprised if he's ready to go this week when they take on Calgary. And I, I think that will, having him back would just inject so much life into this offense. And, and like you said, I don't think this is necessarily, uh, like I'm not finger pointing at Brady Olvera here. I think to agree, the play calling just hasn't been great uh, for the Bombers, particularly in this game. Uh, and, and I think also uh, the receivers weren't at the top of their game. Caleros also wasn't at the top of his game. But I, I know there are a lot of cases where, you know, there were passes that were just dropped uh, that could have been key plays that could have kept the drives going. And, you know, if you start getting a couple two and outs in a row and you're facing a team that's really pounding the rock along the ground and eating up the time on the clock, like you have a, you have a very tough hill to climb at that point when your defense has been on the field as much as they have been leading up to, you know, the end of the game. The Bombers managed to keep it close uh, off of, you know, a huge 51-yard touchdown catch by Darvin Adams. Uh, they got a huge fumble uh, forced, I believe, forced by Jackson Jeffcoat, who to me looked like the best bomber out on the field by far in this game. Uh, and a huge fumble recovery by Jesse Braves that leads to a touchdown there. That, those two plays really keep the bombers in this one. Uh, but full credit we have to give to the Toronto Argonauts because I think if this game comes down to one thing, and, you know, you kind of referenced this last week when we were making our picks in CFL Pick'em, is so often a back-to-back against the same team ends up in a split. And while it happened again here, you were right on that. And, and I think the key thing to me is that the Argos made adjustments from the week before that the Bombers did not. And we want to talk about adjustments. Look at Nick Arbuckle coming in as the starter. Like, that, that was the clear-as-day decision after the way the two quarterbacks for Toronto played last week. And it was no surprise to us whatsoever when we found out he was starting this week. And he injected life back into that offense for the Argos. 310 passing yards and a touchdown. He also picks up a touchdown on the ground. Uh, he got some guys going that I think, you know, had a bit of a struggle start to the year. DeVaris Daniels. Uh, seven catches on eight targets, 100 yards and a touchdown, including that big TD at the end of the first half. Uh, Eric Rogers had himself a very fine day as well. They also, you know, young guys like Dejon Brissett even got in on it. I, I thought the offense hummed really well for the Argos this game, and I thought their defense did an excellent job of shutting down the Bombers as well. This is what I expected to see from Toronto this year. This is why I was so high on them coming into this season and thought this was a team that could challenge for, you know, one of the top two spots in the CFL this season. You have to be feeling good about this game if you're an Arbitz fan. Well, here's the other thing. They played right into the hands of playing a very good game. Um, Very good game, sorry, yeah. A very good game offensively and defensively, but more particularly offensively. They did a great job of slowing down that pass rush for the most part with slants and stunts and screen passes and hitch passes and 
you know, they seem to catch the bomber to step behind with those types of plays. And I think, you know, one of the knocks against Toronto is this offensive line, I think, a little bit. But when you're throwing screen passes and hitch passes and all those types of passes, that's exactly the way you alleviate pressure on the, on your offensive line is, you know, take your pressure off the line, take your pressure uh, and put it squarely on the opposition to change the game plan. And if there's one thing that's to be disappointing about the Blue Bombers' effort, um, it's that they kind of felt like they could run the same kind of game plan against Toronto that they got in week two. Um, and they hoped it would carry over to some success. We didn't see that much, but it was different from at least an attempt of the game plan in, the, in week number two over to week number three. So, but again, it's hard, Ryan, to be super, super critical about this Blue Bomber team. Um, I, I think they learned a lesson, but they're going to come back. Uh, they're going to come back, and they're going to be very, very hungry. We have to remember, this loss ended a six-game winning streak. If you want to carry this all the way back to 2019, you believe in such a thing? So, yes, there's things to work on. But at the end of the day, right, and this team wasn't going to go 14-0, roll their way to the West Final, and let's go to the Great Cup, and let's have the CFL's you know, first perfect season in a long, long time. That's not how this works. Uh, there is another team that I think is equally as good, and I think come the end of the season and come the playoffs, we will see that these were two of the top teams in the CFL that split a home-and-home, home, that most home-and-homes are uh, split. And, you know, maybe the Ardles had a little bit of a – little bit of a – up in there playing week number two, which was made up in week number three. And I think the Bombers should have heeded a little bit of a warning that was coming when we did see Arbuckle in the game in week number two. He completely changed that game uh, with a little bit of a option play, a run play that, that led to that touchdown that got it to, that got it to uh, 10-7 at the time. And I would say that that drive was very uh, reminiscent of what we saw in this game. It was nothing exotic. It was nothing um, overly crazy. The basics of football work. You pound the ball with the running back. You know, you get your 10-yard slant passes. You get your game breakers on occasion. And uh, you get the other team napping to take penalties and it's just the football game that the Bombers didn't have to learn from. My level of concern is zero. Let's move on. Let's give the Ardos credit, and let's get ready for Calgary. Not much to it. A couple things I, I, I noticed uh, for the Argos. Two I really liked. One I one that's a bit of a concern for me. I One, I really like the dual running back system. You know, as somebody, as a fantasy player, it frustrates the heck out of me when teams do this, right? I, I mean, uh, in our own fantasy game, I had John White in my lineup, 12 carries, just 24 yards. Uh, meanwhile, backup running back DJ Foster has 10 for 101. But as 
as an observer of CFL offenses, I love the option of a dual running back system. I, I think it opens so many things up, you know, White's not going necessarily. Okay, let's throw Foster in, vice versa. Maybe we run some packages with both of them. Maybe, you know, you give a guy a rest so, and then he's got fresh legs and he can run all over you in the fourth quarter. I, I want to see the Argos keep this this dual back system going in the next couple of weeks because I think they've got something special there uh, between those two guys. I also think what they did really well offensively is they attacked the Bombers rookies in the secondary. You know, this is a very young secondary that the Bombers have uh, this year, and they performed admirably in the first two games of the season. But uh, I think we especially saw this more later in this game when the defense had been out on the field over and over again, that Toronto just started going to the same same spots over and over and over and shoved it down the Bombers' throats. You know, you look at a couple of guys in that def- defensive backfield. I thought Josh Miller had himself a bit of a rough game and the Argos were exploiting that. Uh, I, I just really like that from this team to, you know, just start attacking the rookies. That's what I expected Hamilton to do in week number one, and we didn't really get that. And I, I think that's maybe a spot this defense can be exploited for the Bombers because to their credit, like I said, they played fantastic in those first two weeks. And I think they played very good football even this week at times. But if you're out on the field for as long as you are, you're going to break a bench. And I I thought the Argos exploited that very well. The thing I didn't like for Toronto was the the clumsiness, the fumbles. Uh, Nick Arbuckle fumbled Mm -hmm. one. Four or five times uh, himself. They had a couple other as well. I think the Argos are very fortunate they managed to recover all of these because it's only a seven-point game on on the board in the end. And, you know, a couple of these go the Bombers' ways. Maybe we're looking at a whole different game script here. Yeah. um, You know, I I can think of a handful of times, especially late in the game, second half where it was kind of, you know, within one possession and the Bombers that a fumble deep in Toronto territory uh, where the Argos kind of jumped on the football to kind of save their, save their opportunity, uh, save their opportunity for, you know, a chance to get possession. So, you know, the Bombers jump on a couple of those fumbles and the Argos, you know, turn the ball over four or five times. You know, the Bombers are a team opportunistic on the turnover. Uh, They were tied last year in points off of turnovers. Uh, I believe with uh, Saskatchewan, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But again, this is a Bomber team that focuses on being clean, uh, taking care of uh, the football and capitalizing on others' mistakes. And I, I agree with you. I think to me, we saw a very Calgary-ish offense from Toronto. Uh, maybe that shouldn't be surprising given who their coach is and what he tried to emulate. But seriously, turn out, turn, clean up the turnovers. Because if the Bombers recover a few more of those turnovers based on where they happen on the field, I think we're talking about a way with the, the Bombers getting one of their ugliest victories of the season uh, and one of their ugliest uh, 
one of their ugliest wins in quite some time. Let's move on to the final game of the week. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders beating the Ottawa Red Blacks 23-10 to remain unbeaten at 3-0 on the season. Uh, Ottawa had that shocking victory over uh, Edmonton in week number one where the defense had themselves uh, a, a fantastic day and really carried the team to that win. Uh, I, I think we saw them fall back to the norm this week at coming out of the bye week that we kind of expected from them, didn't we? Uh, a defense that I thought still did, you know, a pretty decent job. They, they hold Saskatchewan to 23 points uh, and only one offensive touchdown. Uh, but the offense for Ottawa just still not really getting much going here. Uh would you agree with me? This is what we're we should be expecting to see from Ottawa all season long. I'll say this: um, all due respect to Matt Nichols, it might be time to look for a quarterback change in Ottawa. He had very little on that arm, and you guys know on this podcast that I am a staunch uh, Matt Nichols supporter. I even said, I don't know if it should be Kalaros over Nichols at this point in time. Um, I am very concerned what I've seen from Matt Nichols and that offense through two games, uh, particularly this game. It didn't seem like he had much on his arm. Uh, he had scoring opportunities, just wasn't able to hit. A couple of receivers. Uh, I mean, you know, he hit RJ Harris for a couple couple deep ones. Um, but it, it just doesn't seem like the Matt Nichols that we saw in Winnipeg. And, you know, it, it was interesting because uh, TSN's broadcast was talking about how they feel that Matt Nichols needs to get Ottawa to a Eastern final to get rid of the uh, game manager uh, label. Uh, I, I would tend to agree with that, but the lot of crispness, the lot of intensity, the lot of go-go-go drive tennis scenario from an, a Paul Apolis coach team offensively, it's concerning. And I don't know how this can continue if you're Ottawa, given the fact of the, what we've already established as the other three teams at least showing reason for optimism. Yes, it's one and one, but if Trevor Harris doesn't make mistakes that he made in that week one game, particularly the play to Tanay and a couple other interceptions there, you know, we're talking about a very different uh, game in week number one. And the defense can only carry the mail so long. And it feels like, it feels certainly like the teeter-totter is slipping in the direction of the defense. When does the defense say enough is enough and it's time for the offense to contribute a little bit more? I know there's not, you know, finger pointing from within, but I'm very curious what's going to come of Ottawa this week. Uh, they have a game where I feel that they need to show us a little bit of something coming up. 
Otherwise, I think the calls for a quarterback change need to be strongly considered. Not that the guy behind him in Dom Davis is showing anything. Because I'll tell you what, you're not going anywhere without a quarterback. Um, Timothy Flanders, I think, has been their best offensive player this year. And, you know, they need to figure out how to get this offense going. And I do not believe it's as simple as the new offensive scheme. There, there, there's something not right there. And we'll see what it is in the next couple of weeks. And time is unfortunately not on the side of Ottawa for, for very long. The way the rest of this division, and most importantly, the way the rest of this league is playing. I actually have a completely opposite take on this offense. I don't think we saw from Matt Nichols anything different than we normally did when he was in a Bombers uniform. 79.2% of his passes completed, just five incompletions, 176 yards, no touchdowns. That's sure. That's the big difference here, obviously. Uh, And one interception. He keeps the turnovers low. They don't turn the ball over. He completes a lot of passes, doesn't get a ton of yardage. Uh, I, I think there's so many comparisons that we can see to past Lapolis and Nichols offenses. Um, you know, you look at the receiving core, you've got RJ Harris as your big name receiver there. Uh, you've got some bright young options. Ryan Davis has, not, has had a not too bad uh, first couple games this season. I think you've got uh, great pieces of Daniel Peterman, Devontae Dedman, guys like that. You know, that reminds me of some of those bomber receiving cores where we saw Darvin Adams is the big name and a couple younger guys kind of rotating in and out of there as well. The, the, and, and you've got Lapalise's game plan still there again. I think the two things to, to point out for this Ottawa offense, and, and one to me is bigger than anything else, is this shows, given the, all these comparisons I've just made, how important a solid offensive line is in the CFL. Because we talk about not a, you know, no huge yardage on a game from Nichols uh, in a Bombers uniform. Well, it's fine because they're putting points on the board. Uh, that offensive line in Winnipeg is much better than what we see here from Ottawa. Uh, you know, it's already a team that lost a couple big pieces. They also they lost Nolan McMillan for this game as well uh, on the offensive line. They gave up six sacks. I mean, you, you take a couple of those away, you make a couple plays there, you're tipping things back in the other direction a little bit. So I think the offensive line differences are huge and maybe Nichols isn't the right quarterback for uh, a, you know, a sketchy offensive line out there in Ottawa necessarily. He's not the most mobile guy when it comes to quarterbacks. Uh, And the other big piece to me is the difference in running back. I love Timothy Flanders. I'm high on him. I think he could have a great season this year, but let's be real. He's not Andrew Harris. And Andrew Harris, over the past couple of years in that Bombers offense, made up for a lack of passing game that we saw most often. The team was very heavily carried by the run game offensively, and I think that's a big difference here. So, to me, I'm actually not putting this on Matt Nichols necessarily, this game in particular, maybe a little more so in game one. But to me, this was the typical Nichols performance we've seen. I think it was just you know, the pieces around him just weren't there. So how, how do you fix that problem? 
Are we talking receivers, a better offensive line? Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to play Devil Dobbinson. I'm saying the truth is somewhere somewhere in the middle, obviously. So how do you address this? And I guess the B part is, is, is this something that can be addressed in the middle of the season? Well, I think you definitely need to improve the offensive line if you're Ottawa. That, that's step one to me. Uh, and I think there is room to bring in more talent at wide receiver. Uh, offensive line, I don't know necessarily where you go to improve that. Uh, right now at this point in the season. But there is a very clear option to me that I'm surprised Ottawa did not do two, three weeks ago. And, and that's got Naaman Roosevelt on the phone. Like, this is a guy that in a rider's uniform was, you know, a, a, often a 1,000-yard receiver. He's a, a veteran leader you can get in your offense. He can still play. He got he he did get cut by Montreal in training camp, which was a surprise to me. Like, why isn't a team like Ottawa giving him a call? Yeah, that's it, it's very interesting how yeah, it's also very hard to rebuild uh, a team, especially on the offensive line uh, in season. Um, I just worry about a breaking point coming where the defense is, oh, we can't, you know, carry the mail anymore. Uh, you know, we need more from our offense. But, you know, maybe the talent level outside of the quarterback, um, outside of maybe the running back, Timothy Flanders, and a few wide receivers isn't what we think it is. And I mean, what I mean by that is, Bradshaw was no longer with the team. He was one of those guys that you know you could lean on if you needed a second and sips. And the quarterback literally laid it anywhere between the numbers, and he would go and get it. He is, uh, he was Ottawa's version of Greg Ellington. I think if I may use that. Analogy slash. You, you mean after Auto, Greg Ellingson was Ottawa's version of Greg Ellingson, right? Correct. Correct. <laughs> so, you know, you could throw the ball 12 times, 13 times to him. He did his 150 yards and a couple touchdowns. But what jumped out at me was a couple of those 10 to 12 yard plays or 10 to 12 catches in the game. A handful of them were on second down, uh, extending drives. And to be fair, I think I tend to see your point as much as I see my point as well. And, you know, that, that's the point of the project. We, we can agree to disagree. But I want to see who's that guy on second down, second and medium, that's going to grab that first down. It can't be R.J. Harris every single time. Who's going to be that big guy? It says, yeah, when it's setting down, the opposition knows the ball is coming to me and there's nothing you can do about it. That, that, that to me, and then you be there a little bit of a running game. You know, you don't turn the ball over. You get okay defense. You're going to be in a lot of games. But I still believe that this is going to be a season in transition in Ottawa. Now, looking quickly at the Riders' side of things, a very clean win for the Riders. I mean, 
Fajardo completes eight, over 85% of his passes for 321 yards. Uh, no interceptions. They don't fumble the ball at all. Defensively, I mean, my goodness, six sacks again for the second straight week. Uh, offensively, things are rolling on all cylinders, even without their number one receiver, arguably, in Shaq Evans. Uh, things seem to be going pretty good in Ryderville right now, don't they? Yeah, they do, but there's often things we can work on, right? I mean, you're 3-0. You're, you're uh, the teams that you beat are teams that I think you should beat. I want to see what happens when this team goes on the road. They didn't have a fourth straight home game uh, in week number five uh, when they played the Bombers in the Labor Day game. I want to see this team on the road. They benefit from a home coaching start to the year. I said this on the previous show. Saskatchewan had to have a good start. If they were going to be considered uh, front runners in the West, job done. How does this team react on the road? Uh, my goodness, Cody Fajardo keeps making me regret not starting him in our little CFC fantasy pool. Um, just the depth of this Ryder team is astonishing. I thought this offensive line would kill them. Uh, that hasn't proven to be a uh, very, uh, very good tape because they have had some surprise performances among that offensive line. But again, let's see, right? Great Cups aren't won because you start the season 3-0. and the, season, the games will get tougher. Uh, there'll be tape on Fajardo. But this is just my opinion right now. Cody Fajardo. He is the front runner for the most outstanding player in the Canadian Football League. I, I would totally agree with that. He's been fantastic through three weeks. A great game here again. Uh, one of the most notable things to me is I, I would say the Riders have the best Canadian wide receiver depth in the CFL, and they just keep pumping out more and more fantastic options at that position. Uh, you know, Braden Lenius has stepped up big time this year. He had 67 yards again in this game. Uh, Mitchell Picton has had himself a fine start to the year. Uh, another guy that stepped in kind of got an opportunity in this game, I believe once Jordan Williams Lambert went down with an injury. Uh, Kyan Schaffer, Schaffer Baker had himself a fine day with 64 yards. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Paul McRoberts is also a Canadian. Uh, Boy, does this not bring you back to the days where the uh, where the riders were rolling, you know, two, three guys uh, that are Canadians at wide receiver and, uh, you know, high-flying at that position? Yeah, and then they were able to play a lot more Americans on the defensive side. And they have some some ball hound on that defensive line. Uh, but makes you quickly forget about Charlton Hughes. Uh, Boy, oh boy, the pressure they get on the quarterback from guys we haven't heard of is quite, quite remarkable. However, it's only it's only three games. Uh, the Riders did finish first in the last lot, uh, 19. And how did that turn out? Uh, so I believe McRoberts, I uh, just double check, uh, looks like he was born in the States. So unless he has uh, some form of... Uh, Canadian citizenship. Uh, alternatively, I, I believe he is not part of that Canadian core, but still some great options for Canadian wide receiver there for the riders. 
Uh, and you mentioned that defensive line. I mean, two of the guys that have to be are certainly making names for themselves and are going to try to get, if they keep this up all season long, into the conversation, I think, for defense player of the year. One of them has to be A.C. Leonard. He's now kind of the veteran on that defensive line. He had two sacks last week. He picked up another one this week. And he seems to kind of be that leader that has stepped up and led that crew now. And, uh, and uh, you know, him alongside with Jonathan Woodard, who put up two sacks again this week like he did last week. So uh, that, that crew, like you said, has been rolling on all cylinders for the Riders. And, and that's something I certainly did not expect to see with all the pieces they lost in the offseason. Look, this is a team that I expected to be. I had them finishing last in a tight West division this year, year in our preseason predictions. And outside of that, you know, shaky second half against BC in week number one, they, they have fully proven me wrong. This seems like a team that's prepared to be able to roll on all cylinders all season long. Absolutely. Let's get into our CFL fantasy CFL pick them for week number three slash four. Uh, as we uh, move into talking about week number four in the uh, Canadian football podcast network fantasy league, I took on Travis Pura from the two and out CFL podcast. And thanks to the aforementioned Brayden Lenius with a, with a solid performance for the riders, I pulled out the win in the final game. Uh, 68.6 point week for myself. I pulled out about a four to five point win uh, to improve to three and zero on the season. Still undefeated, the only one in the league uh, so far. If I may humbly brag about that, uh, because well, we're not sure how long that will last. Hopefully, all season long. Uh, in week four, I take on Superfan Mike from the Turf District podcast. Uh, he was my kryptonite in 2019. He beat me both times. So looking to uh, bounce back and uh, not let that happen again this year in the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League. Check out the Two and Out CFL podcast. Check out the Turf District podcast, as well as all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. In our little fantasy thing between Mike and myself, a uh, couple trades, moves, transactions we made coming into week number three. Uh, I dropped Jawan Breskison after his injury and picked up Mitchell Pickton to get another Canadian receiver there. Uh, dropped Armani Edwards and picked up Kyron Moore. Uh, Edwards is not performing like I expected in Edmonton and was also on the one-game injured list. And I uh, made the swap of Jeremiah Mazzoli for Zach Caleros, and I put Caleros in my lineup this week, and well, I guess this was the long, wrong week to do so. Uh, Mike dropping uh, or putting Shaq Evans on the injured reserve, picking up Eugene Lewis out of Montreal, and dropping Bo Levi Mitchell, uh, with, who is, like we said before, on the six-game injured list. Uh, how did we do in week number three? I fielded a lineup of Zach Caleros, Shaq Cooper, William Powell, John White, Brian Burnham, Kyron Moore, Mitchell Pickton, Darrell Walker, the Bombers defense, and Sean White uh, for 90.5 points. Mike had Vernon Adams Jr., William Stanback, Brady Oliveira, James Wilder Jr., Greg Ellingson, Kenny Lawler, Braden Lenius, Eugene Lewis, the Ticats defense while well, they were on a bye, but that's the only defense to see out on your roster. 
and Rene Paradis at kicker for 128 points. So a 37.5 point uh, win for you in week number three. Puts the overall totals at 337.3 for Mike to 319.9 for me. So you, sir, are back in the league. Uh, quite the week for you. A couple big performances from uh, Vernon Adams Jr., James Wilder Jr., and Greg Ellenson. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that performance by VA would have been better had he gotten that yard there at the buzzer because that would have been a Eugene Lewis touchdown uh, as well. But you know what? One can't, betters can't be choosers at this point. Well said, well said. Uh, so we'll see how things do, how we do in week number four. Uh, and looking at the CFL pick them, uh, well, we, as of right now, don't know if the Argos and Elks will play this week, but I guess we'll make a prediction for it, assuming they will play, although that might be hard to do, not knowing who will be out on COVID protocol. Uh, last week, as we mentioned off the top of the show, Mike went 2-2 two and two to, to improve to 2-10 and ten on the season, I think, and I had another 1-3 week to improve to 3-9, and nine, so... You know, glowing prediction percentages. I think I'm still at negative points in CFL Pick'em. Uh, let's see if we can uh, get games right in week number four. Uh, it's not going to be the first game of the week anymore. We don't know when it will happen or if it will happen this week. But Toronto hosting Edmonton in this hypothetical game. Who do you got, Mike? I don't have to Toronto hard enough. I just like them way too much in this game. Uh, COVID question marks for Edmonton abound. Who's going to play? What does the roster look like? I, I like Toronto on the close one. Yeah, I think, I think I like the same. I really liked what the Argos showed for me this past week. I, I'm excited to see another start from Nick Arbuckle. Uh, I think even though Edmonton got things back on track, they got Greg Ellingson back on track. Uh, I, I think they're still struggling to put the ball in the end zone. And uh, I, I think Toronto, uh, with how good their defense has been uh, the past couple of weeks, I think can shut them down and keep them out of the end zone as, get, as well. So I will take the Argos in that hypothetical game. Uh, the second matchup, Friday night, uh, Montreal hosting Hamilton, pick trend 66% in favor of the Alouettes. Uh, I think I got a go the same direction here um it's it's tough it's a really close one for me i i think montreal's gonna bounce back from the game we saw in week number two uh maybe somewhere kind of in between what we saw from them or sorry but from their second game which was week number three uh the two games we've played from them i think we see somewhere in the middle i also think with the bye week the Ticats should be a little more healthy. That should help them out. I think they were desperately missing a couple of those pieces at wide receiver. That will hopefully be back in the lineup. So I think this will be a really close game. Uh, but I think I'm going to take the uh, the Alouettes at home. I like their D-line. I have question marks about Hamilton's offensive line. So I'm taking Montreal on a close one. Yeah, I'm going the opposite. I just really cannot see Hamilton starting 0-3. I can't see Jeremiah Mazzoli struggling again. Uh, I just have a hard time comprehending, period. But Hamilton did a start 0-3. So I picked Hamilton in the close one. Fair enough. Uh, getting into the Saturday game, only one this week. Uh, Ottawa hosting BC. 
the Red Blacks home opener. Pick trend 78% uh, in favor of the visiting Lions. Where are you going on this one? I'm going to Ottawa. As much as I dislike Matt Nichols, I didn't like what I saw from BC. There's something to be said about beating home this week. Uh, I like uh, Ottawa's defense to rise to the occasion again. All right. So an improvement to two and one for the Red Blacks. I'm going the opposite direction. I'm taking BC. Uh, I, I think just Ottawa's offense isn't going to get enough going. Uh, I like uh, Michael Riley and that high-powered BC offense uh, to get things back on track this week, like we're used to seeing from them. Uh, I think there's room to run the ball against the Red Blacks a little bit uh, potentially here, and I, I think we're going to see that from uh, a bounce-back game from Shaq Cooper at running back. And uh, you're not going to hold a guy like Brian Burnham to 30 yards two weeks in a row. So I will take the Lions uh, over Ottawa in this one. Uh, will not be surprised, though, to be fair, if uh, that defense does pick them up another win because, well, it's an unpredictable league and nothing surprises me anymore. And then getting into the Sunday game, the Bombers host the Calgary Stampeders, 87% in favor of Winnipeg. I am sticking with that. I am going with the Bombers to bounce back. I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were against Toronto uh, in this past week. I think we're going to see some adjustments, hopefully, from them. I also think we're going to see a Calgary team that, you know, Jake Mayer looked really good, I would say, in that performance against Montreal. Like you said before, I also have question marks on whether he can follow that up. So I will take the Bombers for a bounce-back game. Uh, they're always better at home, uh, so I will take one back. The tipsy boat comes around here, huh? I'm going Jake Meyer to start his Stampede career 2-0. and uh, The Calgary Stampeders climb themselves out of a 0-2 uh, hole. Um, I want to fit the bomber so badly. It would be a beautiful way to close out Manitoba 150 weekend. Hence why the game's on Sunday night. I don't know if you knew that, Ryan. I did not. Um, but anyway, it is Manitoba 150 weekend uh, this weekend. Um, that's why the game's on Sunday. But no, I, I expect this to be a close one. I expect Andrew Harris to be back. And I expect Calgary to win a close one. I'm going to make an even bolder prediction. Rene Pettis walks Calgary off with a game-winning field goal. All right. That's the picks for week number four in the CFL. Uh, Mike, before we close out the show, uh, because we are to the end of our time here, uh, do you have anything you want to plug or say before I wrap things up? Uh, watch our game time, uh, game time TV MB slash game time TV Facebook pages. In the next week or so, that's some major, major, major announcements coming. We're getting close to unveiling, letting the chat out of the hat, uh, letting the chat out of the bag, letting the, the horse out of the barn, whatever cliche you want to use. Uh, that will be coming up soon, either Friday or maybe even next Monday. Who knows? But I'm hoping. I know I've been saying this for weeks, but I'm hoping it's going to be uh, the end of this week. So check out Game Time TV MB uh, on 
Facebook and Instagram uh, to find out uh, what animal Mike is letting out of what enclosure uh, as he makes big announcements. Follow him on Twitter as well, at Mike Garrell. Uh, for myself, uh, check out the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix on YouTube. Uh, I will be, uh, as I have been the past couple of weeks, I'll be releasing uh, videos throughout the week talking CFL fantasy for week number four, which uh, will be uh, even more of an adventure this week uh, with not knowing what's going to happen with that game between Toronto and Edmonton. But uh, stay tuned there. Give me a subscription there and follow all that content. You can follow me on Twitter at CooperTrooper42 as well for fantasy football updates throughout the week. Uh, and uh, it, like I said before, if you haven't already, make sure you check out our last episode of the podcast, a bonus interview with Paul Woods, author of Year of the Rocket. Uh, he's got a new book coming in. The new book's coming out in September. You still have time to pre-order. Uh, you can find on our Twitter account, at CFC on Mike FM. Uh, you can find the link to that. It also has the link to pre-order and save yourself 20% off through Sutherland House Books there. So make sure you check that out. Make sure you check out all the other great shows around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, you can find those CF Pod Network on Twitter. And uh, yeah, whatever podcast platform you listen to this on, make sure you do all the things like comment, subscribe, share the show, help us get it out to more people. We love talking CFL with all you fine folks week in and week out. And we will be back next week to recap week number four in the CFL here on the Canadian Football Countdown. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day and enjoy week number four. Bye. Bye.